Well, uh, it seems like uh, it's been a while since I've stood in this place to teach, as I wasn't here last week. So I kind of figured that uh, I was really pumped up about getting back here, so I thought we'd just go two hours this morning. You're laughing. It's not that funny. Uh, no. Uh, we'll see 90 minutes from now, if you'll be laughing. But... Um, Today we are beginning a brand new series called Christmas Eyes. And what we want to do today is we want to focus on the Christmas story from a man's perspective. And we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. And next week we're going to be looking at it from a woman's perspective through the eyes of Mary. And the Christmas Sunday we will take the time to look at it through the Christ child's eyes, Jesus himself. And so let's just kind of dive in uh, right now. And let me just ask you this question. Have you ever wondered why, out of all the people who were wandering around the world, particularly in the Middle East during this time, why is it that Joseph is the one that gets tapped on the shoulder to parent the second person of the Trinity? I mean, have you ever thought about that before? I mean, why Joseph? Was it just kind of the luck of the draw? Up in heaven, did they have like this uh, ping-pong lottery and all these names are in there and all of a sudden, one pops through that little uh, tube and it pulls out, Joseph, that's the guy. Or is it like a roulette wheel and, uh, you know, it goes around, around, around and it just kind of landed right on uh, Joseph's name? Was it like that? Or do you think that it was carefully selected That out of everyone in the world at that time, that God carefully selected, He hand uh, chose Joseph Himself because He had a job that needed to be done. Now, if that was the case, the question we have to ask then is, what is it that makes Joseph stand out from the rest of the folks? Out of all the men, why was he chosen and not somebody else? Well, I never really thought about that until this week as I was doing my study. Why Joseph? Why was he chosen? And the Bible kind of gives us a hint of that in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. And this is a hint that we're given in Matthew 19. And it simply says this, Joseph was a good man. Another interpretation says he was an exceptional man. Another interpretation says he was a righteous man. Another one says that he was a man of character. So the question then becomes, well, why was Joseph so good? Why was he a good man? Well, the first example that we find of his goodness is this. He pursued an honorable profession. He pursued an honorable profession. Joseph worked hard and he gained the respect of his peers by doing his work. And the Bible tells us that his work was that of a carpenter. One day there are some people as Jesus is doing his teaching ministry and they're wondering why is it that this guy who is from a poor peasant family, how can he think that he is the Messiah? The second person of the Trinity, God's only son. And so they asked this question, 
Isn't he the son of a carpenter? Isn't he just a carpenter's son? And Jesus learns the carpentry skill from his dad. Joseph was a hard worker and he passed that on to his son. In fact, through all of Scripture, God talks about the importance of working and the value that He places on diligent, hard-working, conscientious kind of human labor. And it's the first thing that He gives to people when they're in the garden. He tells Adam to work the garden. The book of Proverbs is filled with all of these virtues of what it means to be a hard-working person, a person who gives their selves to working hard. And throughout the Bible, it's like God is saying that if you are a part of my family, you work because it's important. Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest friends, said this regarding profession. He said this regarding your job. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. It's a really good thing that human beings work, that they engage in labor. It develops, it develops competencies. It keeps their brain sharp and active. It helps them to network with a group of other people to become productive. And folks, Joseph was this kind of man. He was a hard worker, a diligent worker. And he was respected by everyone else around him as a good carpenter. And maybe part of the reason that God tapped him on the shoulder when he could have tapped anyone else was because he was a hard-working man. And he knew that Joseph would be one who could provide shelter and clothing and food and everything else that this Christmas child would have and would need. The second sign of Joseph's goodness was he loved Mary enough to make a lifelong commitment to her. He loved Mary enough to make a lifelong commitment to her. The Bible says this, a young woman named Mary was engaged to Joseph. Now, what you have to understand is that engagement in this culture means something very different to be engaged today. Today, if you're engaged, what it means is often this. You are number one until I find somebody else, right? Or you're, you can keep the ring. I don't want you anymore. Or I'm keeping the ring. I don't want you anymore. You know, whatever it is. But in Joseph's culture, the word engagement actually equaled marriage. In other words, when a person got to the point that they were going to be engaged to someone, they've already made a lifelong commitment of marriage to that person. In fact, you're already considered married. I mean, it was a huge commitment for a young man to make. This was entering into a covenant with a young woman, and you're saying to her, <laughs> I am prepared to devote all my attention, all my affection to you for the rest of my life. I will not pursue or get involved with anyone else, any other woman I will not have eyes for until I go to the grave. I am making you number one right now. This is an exclusive, loving relationship until death do us part. 
And folks, only good men make that decision of that magnitude. And Joseph was such a man. Throughout my time as a pastor, I was thinking about it this uh, week, in fact, since we've started the JAR, every single staff member has been younger than me. And I think that's partly because uh, I love hanging out with young people. And I like to hear what they talk about. And uh, a few years ago, I was with a group of uh, high school and college students, and uh, I kind of brought up the C word, commitment. And there was a group of these, you know, young men and women, and I brought it up, and the guys were like, ease up, bunch. Ease up on the C word. It makes me break out in a rash, dude, you know. And the women started rolling their eyes and shaking their hand and said, you just opened up Pandora's box, you know. And all of a sudden, the women started explaining to me that young men often have an enormous issue with commitment. They have commitment phobia. They were saying that it's a tendency for young men in their world that they will choose different women to have relationships, do whatever, whenever they can, and then when it finally becomes time that the relationship has to move to that of hard work, of deepening and making a commitment for the long haul, a lot of times when it gets to that point, the young guy is like, I'm out. And they walk away. Flags go up and they bolt. And young women that I've talked to and counseled in my office, they walk away and they're deeply hurt. Now, Joseph, the scripture tells us, after he decided that he really loved this woman and he committed to her, he did the hard work of moving the relationship from casual, hey, let's just hook up together, to no, 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 we're not hooking up together, we are not being casual, I am committed to you. He stepped up and he deepened the relationship in his life. No lack of relational courage on Joseph's part because he was not just a man, guys. He was a good man. <coughs> a third example of goodness for Joseph was this. He honored God with his sexuality. He honored God with his sexuality. A phrase in Matthew 1.18 says this. When Jesus' mother Mary had been promised in marriage to Joseph, before they came together, she found she was found to be pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. This verse tells us that Joseph and Mary chose to have no sexual relations before they were married. They had pledged themselves to sexual purity before God and each other and their family. And you know, it's a very rare man nowadays, especially a young man, to love a person and to plan to marry them and say, when it comes to sexual involvement, we're not going there. We're going to wait. We're going to honor God and we're going to wait on that. And that's precisely the covenant that Joseph voluntarily made before Mary because of his own conscience and his own spirituality. I read an article this week about uh, an interview that was going on with uh, eight, uh, eight or nine, I can't remember, there were eight, I guess, uh, fraternity guys at a major university. 
And uh, the interviewer was a woman, and the whole issue was on sexuality. And she turns to these guys, and, he, and she says, You're not graduated from college yet, but how many young woman, women have you had sex with so far? And it just blew me away. One of the guys just kind of cavalierly said six. Another one said eight. Another one said twelve. And another one kind of puffed out his chest and said, oh, a lot more than twelve. And they're just going on and on and on. And I think they haven't even graduated from college yet. You know, it takes a very strong, faithful young man to respect a woman enough that he's dating her to keep a commitment of sexual purity. Joseph made that commitment to God and to Mary and to himself. And he kept it all the way. The next example of goodness that Joseph displayed was he treated Mary graciously. He treated Mary graciously. Now, in this story, uh, Mary breaks Joseph's heart. She announces to everyone that she is pregnant. And Joseph knows that the child's not his because he's already made this huge commitment that out of all the women in the world, I will choose no one and I will have sex with no one else. I will wait until we're married. But instead of going in front of the community, which he could have done and said, this woman has committed adultery, he treats her graciously. The Bible says this, Joseph... Her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. Now, like I said earlier, engagement in that culture meant what? Marriage. So the breaking off of an engagement in that culture, what do you think it meant? Divorce. But rather than this being a huge public thing, Joseph did it quietly. So here's Joseph, this class act guy. He's made a commitment of exclusive relationship with Mary alone. He voluntarily turns away from every other woman in the world except for Mary. And he's expecting that Mary's going to do the same thing. But then out of the blue, Mary kind of dumps a surprise on him and says, Hey, I'm pregnant. And Joseph said, You didn't keep your end of the bargain. And she's obviously, from Joseph's mind, been with another woman. And even though Joseph has gone against the culture and he said, I'm going to do the honorable thing and I'm going to commit only to her, she didn't return the favor. And I can imagine that at that point that Joseph is very disappointed and very hurt and very upset. He's ticked off. And he could have just ripped her publicly. But he doesn't. He absorbs the pain. This unbelievable hurt that he seems has been caused by her, he absorbs it. And he could have humiliated her publicly. You see, in this day, if you were engaged and all of a sudden you find that that person has committed adultery, that woman could be taken to the court, could be taken to the city square, and stoned to death right at that point. It was a patriarchal community. The men ran things. But Joseph doesn't do that. I mean, how loving of a center he must have had 
to take on all that pain, all that hurt, and not return it. Joseph was not just a man, guys. Joseph was a very, very good man. A fifth sign that Joseph was a good man was he obeyed God's supernatural instructions. He obeyed God's supernatural instructions. (coughs) Now, Joseph has made this commitment. He's made this decision of being faithful. Even though she has been unfaithful, he has made, he has remained faithful. And now he's going to end the relationship. It has to stop somewhere. The Bible says this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The first divine instruction that he receives from the angel is this. Don't break off the engagement. Now, guys, that goes against every single instinct in our being, doesn't it? To know that this person is not just unfaithful, but now she's even pregnant and they're saying, you stay with her. And for a guy like Joseph, I'm sure he's kind of thinking, are you serious, God? Anyone would say that. What are you talking about? But then the angel goes one step further and says, when the baby is born, this miracle child, make sure you name him Jesus because he is the one who will come to the world and that the world has been waiting for and he will really save people from their sin. And now all of a sudden, Joseph has to make a decision. He's already decided to leave her and God comes with this supernatural, this very difficult decision to make. Is he going to say yes to the divine instruction or is he going to go with his own basic instinct, which is, I'm walking away. She did it to me. I'm done. Good men, really good men, they have one ear that is constantly open and listening to the things of heaven. And when God tells them to do something, even if it's hard, good men say, yes, God, I will do it. And Joseph did. He decided to marry Mary and he named the child Jesus. One last example of Joseph's goodness. He was a fully engaged father. He was a fully engaged father. When it comes to Jesus and when it comes to children later on, Jesus had brothers and sisters. The Bible tells us that Joseph wasn't distant and disconnected, but he was present and active. He was there for the delivery. A few days later, when they took Jesus to the temple court, it wasn't just Mary doing it, but Joseph was right there beside him. He was a fully engaged father. You know, a lot of times, uh, nowadays, guys are there when the baby is born. And they're excited and they're, they're, they're thrilled with that. But when the religious stuff needs to happen, and you have to take the child to church consistently, weekly, and you make that commitment, or when you dedicate them, or when you have baptism, a lot of men say, hey, that's my wife's job. 
That's her job. Let her handle it. That's the wife's department. Let her do all the religious drill stuff. But not Joseph. The dedication ceremony comes a few days after his birth, and Joseph is like Johnny on the spot. We are dedicating this child to God. We are committing before God. We are going to follow him. Joseph also was a protector and a provider for his family. A couple years later, this crazy king named Herod decides that he's going to kill all the males two years and younger because he's fearful of Jesus. And Joseph protects his family. He takes them, he moves them across country to Egypt to provide for their needs. He's a carpenter. He does everything to take care of his family. And throughout Scripture, what you find is that Joseph is not some passive, distant, detached father. He has got his head together when it comes to parenting. His head is in the game when it comes to spiritual development. He is a fully engaged father. Kind of the culminating verse that kind of sums up Joseph's whole parenting comes in Luke. And it says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Joseph was a major contributor to Jesus' life, to his maturity, to his development. So I don't think it's by chance that Joseph just kind of was chosen by a, you know, a, a lottery system or a ping pong ball or anything like that. I think what happened was God came down and said, Joseph, I have a call on your life. Are you going to do it? And Joseph said, count me in, God. Count me in. Now it's true after uh, Jesus is 12 years old, we do not hear a reference about Joseph for the rest of the Bible. Mary is left as the only one that is referenced as the person being there during Jesus' teaching ministry and his crucifixion and his resurrection. And what this has done is it's led many scholars to kind of believe that Joseph died as a young father and that Mary was a single parent during this time. Now, the truth is, we don't know precisely what happened to him. The text doesn't tell us that. But again, most scholars believe that in Jesus' teenage years, Joseph died or he was killed. And we'll never know until we get on the other side and God will reveal that. That won't be my first question, by the way, when I get there, okay? But the key, folks, is to remember that Joseph fulfilled his call from God. And that goes down as him being, I think, one of the greatest Christian heroes. Now, with our remaining time, what I just want to do is give you guys some uh, questions. And I'm just going to talk to the men right now. This is kind of man-up time. You know, all these football players will be manning up and you'll be watching them. And so this is your man-up pep talk. Now, women, you'll have your day. It's just not today. It's next week, okay? But for the rest of the time, I just want to talk to the men. In fact, I'm going to sit down and uh, just kind of talk to you guys. I want you to ask yourself the question right now, men, as you're sitting there, how good of a man are you? And most of you probably would say, I'm good. I'm real good. But what I want you to do is not compare yourself 
to Joe, who is a horrible, nowhere guy that works, that does nothing with his kids, and he's always messing up all the time. Don't compare to that Joe. We're going to compare ourselves to the Joe that we just talked about. And I think to get to that answer, we have to ask some other questions. And maybe the first one comes out of our first observation when we talked about his profession. We said that Joseph was good because he was a hard worker. He worked hard as a carpenter and he gained respect from his peers. So the first question, guys, I want you to ask yourselves is this. Do I take my job seriously? I don't want you to ask me, okay? Ask yourselves, do you take your job seriously? I mean, are you consciously attempting to honor God in your vocation, in your job? I mean, each morning when you wake up and you go to work, do you say something like this? By who I am and how I work and how I relate to the team of guys that I work with, I'm making a statement right now that there's going to be a genuineness of Christian faith everything that I do today. Folks, good men do good work. Good men show up on time. Good men choose to work hard. Good men work well with other people. Good men are men that the boss never has to pull aside. Good men are concerned every single day that when they are working, they're not just working for the guy that's paying their paycheck, but they're working for the one who has the eternal paycheck. For Christ himself. And the question is, are you that kind of man? Is that really you? Joseph was serious about his profession. And I'm just wondering for you guys today, are you? Are you a good man when it comes to a commitment to your job? Here's the second question I want you to ask yourself. Do I keep my commitments? Do I keep my commitments? Joseph stepped up and he made a commitment to Mary. And he kept his commitment. Good men, really good men, they step up and they make a commitment. You see, the making of commitments is not that big a deal, folks. A lot of people say, oh yeah, I'll do that. But it's not the making of it, guys. It's the keeping of it that is really important. Good men make a commitment to God and to people and to their kids and to their families, and good men keep those. When there's a commitment that a guy makes and he says, I'm going to be there at 7 o'clock on Tuesday, he's there at 7 o'clock on Tuesday. When a good man makes a financial commitment to God or to the church or to a creditor or to a family friend, or anyone else, good men make sure that they take care of their financial commitments. They keep them. If they have to work two jobs or three jobs, they make sure they take care of them. Good men make relational commitments. They look at the women around them. They look at their children. They look at their friends and they say, I will be there for you. And then they are. Good men make spiritual commitments to seek the kingdom of God first. And when God says, will you do this? They're already saying, I will, I will, I will. I'll do it, God. Joseph's word was rock solid. And the question I want to ask you guys this morning, is your word rock solid? Is my word rock solid? The third question to ask yourself is this. Do I live a sexually pure life? Do I live a sexually pure life? (coughs) Remember, Joseph 
honored God with his sexuality. And good men do this as well. This last week I was talking to a a friend of mine who I've known for a long time, really well. And uh, we were talking about this whole thing of being sexually pure. And he told me this story. He said, you know what, Chris? Uh, The thing that changed my life happened when I was in my 20s. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, we... We were having a bachelor party. My friend was getting married the next day. And after we were done eating at the steakhouse, we uh, all the guys went to a strip club. And we went into the first one. And I felt so much pressure that I had to fit in. So I would just went in and I experienced everything. And then we drank and we did stuff there. And then we went to the next one. And he said, when we got to the next one, I, I looked up and this girl is dancing. And all of a sudden, I felt a prompting from God that said, what are you doing here? And he said, at first, I thought it was the alcohol talking to me. And he said, no. and they came back and he said, no, what are you doing here? And uh, he's, he's like, I don't know. And then he, then he said, this is what convicted me. He said, do you see that girl dancing? That is someone's little girl. That's somebody's daughter. And he said, I got up and I walked away and I walked outside and I wept and I cried. And he said, then one of my buddies came out and he's like, why are you crying, baby? He's like, I'm not a baby. You know, he tried to act all bad. That's what you do when you're in twenty in your twenties. He said, Why are you doing? Why'd you leave? And he said, God told me to leave, man. And he said, I left. He said, God told me I need to respect women more than that. And I thought to myself, when my friend was telling me this story, way to go, man. Way to step up. You're a good man. The Bible says this, flee from sexual immorality, just walk away. Guys, good men, walk away. They shut off the computer if they have to, they walk away from the party if they have to, they walk out of the theater if they must, they close the door if they have to. A few months ago, I was with a group of guys here at the church, and we're sitting around and we're talking, and all of a sudden the guy said, You know what? Since I've been coming to the jar, and since I've committed my life to Christ, I've decided that I'm going to uh, get rid of my Playboy subscription. And I I was like, well, why? Why are you doing that? (laughs) Not because I have one, okay? (laughs) I said, why are you doing that? And he said, this is why. He said, there's a group of guys in this church that I've kind of connected with. And they heard me talking about this. And they said, dude, you're better than that. You are better than that. And he said, all of a sudden, I thought, man, I am better than that. And I want to respect my wife. And I want to respect my kids. And he said, I just got rid of it. And I thought, way to go. That is a good man right there. A good man. And guys, how are you doing in this area? 
And if you need some help in this area, Celebrate Recovery meets at 7 o'clock every Thursday. And it is not a sign of weakness to get this area of your life corrected because there are guys meeting there every single week that are working on this. And you come and you work on it too. Here's the fourth question. Do I handle heartbreak and betrayal honorably? Do I handle heartbreak and betrayal honorably? Remember, Joseph had his heart shattered. But he had developed such a center of life that he loved God that he didn't have to get even. Guys, really good men are capable of feeling all kinds of amounts of pain. Really good men sometimes, they have their worlds cave in in front of them. Sometimes they have people who they love and they give their life to that walk away and betray them and leave them. But a really good man does this. He hangs on to the hand of God and he says, God, I'm not going anywhere when it comes to the pain in my life. I'm not walking away. And they process that pain with God and maybe with a group of guys. And if they have to, they even get some counseling. But they say, I'm going to not carry this anymore. I'm not going to allow it to poison the water of my soul. (coughs) And they don't walk around being angry and victimized and hating women. See, what happens sometimes, guys, when you've been hurt, when you've been betrayed, whether it's by your wife or a girlfriend or a friend or a boss, all of a sudden we start carrying this backpack of bitterness and resentment around us. And you don't think it smells because you got it zipped up, but everybody in your world, they know it smells. And each time that you walk around and you're carrying this backpack, It just weighs you down. And I just want to tell you guys today, leave it here. Say today, I'm going to leave the backpack of bitterness and hurt and resentment here. If you feel like someone has wronged you, it's time to move on. I challenge you to come up after the celebration and pray with Derek. Find me. Pray with me. Find another guy. Pray with someone. But let's get beyond it today. Because guys, if you're going through that right now, you have a whole world in front of you. And God doesn't want you to carry a backpack that's going to hold you back anymore. Really good men process their pain and then they go forward. Here's the next question you have to ask yourself. Do I hear and carry out supernatural instructions? Do I hear, but then do I actually carry out supernatural instructions? Joseph is broken and beaten down. His relationship has gone away. He listened to the instructions above. And God says, I want you to marry her anyways. And he says, I'll do it. Really good men do this. They walk around with like I said before, with one ear connected to heaven, so whatever God tells them to do, they just do it. They say, God, in advance, my declaration is whatever you want me to do, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. If it stretches my faith, if it makes me feel uncomfortable, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. Really good men do this. My dad is 73 years old. In 1957, at the age of 18, 
he uh, became an apprentice in General Motors as a tool and die maker. Two years later, he got his journeyman's card. He worked there 10 years. And he was going to be set for life. He could have retired when he was 48 years old. And about the 10th year, all of a sudden, he felt this prompting from God calling him to leave everything and go into pastoral ministry. His parents, his friends, his family, his co-workers, everybody else told him, you are dumb, dude, you got it set. Don't do it. But my dad told me this this week. He said, I felt God telling me, John, I am calling you to be a pastor. I want to use you. You're probably going to be hidden. You'll never earn a lot of money. But John, I'm asking you to say yes to building my church. And my dad said yes. He walked away from everything that was lucrative in GM. He walked away and he went back to college for four years. Then he went back to seminary for three years. And then he pastored for 30 years. And he and I sat down today, we figured out, or this week, we, we figured out how much he would have made if he would have stayed at GM. Two million dollars were left on the table. And you know what? He's a good man. And so I asked him this week, I said, well, why did you do that, God, Dad? I mean, my life would have been a lot better, you know, if you would have stayed at General Motors. You know? And he just said, I had to do it. It's just something that God asked me to do, and how could I say Right now, my dad's in Mexico. He's 73 years old, folks. He's in Mexico right now. And he's continuing to follow the call that God has on his life. And I realize some of you guys are sitting there and going, I didn't have a dad even close to that. And I'm sorry, but you do have a heavenly father who speaks to you, who calls uh, you know, with instructions on your life. And you have a choice to make. Final question, and then we're done. Are you a fully devoted father? Are you a fully devoted father like Joseph was? When really good men become aware of this and how important it is for their children to see that they need a good example, good men, they fall on their knees and they cry out to God and they say, God help me be a good man. <clears throat> My kids deserve to follow in the footsteps of a good man. Help me to be a good man spiritually. Help me to be a good man uh, relationally. Help me to be a good man morally, ethically, in my character, in my love, in my kindness. God, help me to be a good man. And dad, it's, and dads, it's Christmas time. And I just want to tell you, quite frankly, and I'm speaking to each one of you, and if I could talk one-on-one, -on -one, I would. But today is the day to step up. And if you have young children, or you have grandchildren, maybe you missed it with your kids, but you have grandchildren now. Today is the day to step up. And you pull out the Bible, and you open it up, and you don't slide it across the table and say, Honey, why don't you open to Matthew or Luke and 
read the Christmas story. No, you take the Bible, you open it up, and you read the Christmas story to your kids. And you turn to them and you say, kids, dad's going to read this story about the God that we believe in. And dads, if you're younger and you have younger kids, you need to tell them about Christmas and the importance of it. Take more time to tuck them in the bed. Believe me, I'm going to spend a lot of time doing that this week. And show leadership this week and throughout this season. Say, this is a season that I claim my spiritual role as a father. About a month ago, I thought I was going to claim this. And so uh, I was like, I'm going to be a spiritual leader in my house. And I got in the car and I put on a CD and there's a song that we sing here called Your Grace is Enough. And I thought, oh man, this is great. And I know that Jordan actually sings it in children's ministry. So I put it in. And I said, uh, Jordan, I said, this song is really, really important to your dad. And I want us to sing it. And she's like, oh, yeah. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. You know, daddy, daughter, kind of crescendo. And, uh, you know, we're going to sing this together. And I put it in. And we get through the first verse. And I hear this voice from the back. Put on Veggie Tales, Dad. I don't like your song. I'm thinking, Great. And I could have given up, guys. And that's what happens when we parent. Sometimes they do something, we're like, we're done. And I thought, well, that's not going to work. So right before Thanksgiving, I said, well, uh, Jordan, I said, uh, there are some people in our community that don't have enough finances for food this year. And she's like, well, Dad, we have to do something. And I said, we are. And we went to the grocery store, and uh, we got went down to the vegetable aisle, an aisle that I rarely frequent. But we got there, and uh, what I did was I just had Jordan pick the cans. And however many she decided she was going to put in there, that's what I was going to pay for. So I was really hoping it wasn't going to be too much. But, you know, I just let her keep doing it. And finally she said, Dad, I I think that's good. And we walked up and we we did all that. And... uh, I love this church because that's not just a church that says something, but we actually do something. And 800 cans of food are being distributed and have been over the last two weeks because people chose to step up. And uh, one of the things that Jennifer and I have committed to uh, since we've had kids is that we don't celebrate Christmas very big for our kids. Their birthdays, we go nuts. You, some of you have been to our birthday parties, so you know. We rent tents and we do the whole works. But on Christmas, we buy them stuff. We tell them about Santa and all that kind of stuff. But we don't buy them a whole lot. But what we do is we take them and we actually have them buy for another family. And then we take Jordan and we've done this every single year. And guys, I encourage you, if you have the resources, if you don't, buy a coat for a kid. Go take some, uh, go, go ring bells with your kids. Take some coins and show your kids this is going to help people and put it in that little kettle. But do something. 2,000 years ago, God went down to earth and he tapped this dad named Joseph on the shoulder. And he simply said, 
Will you follow me and bring the Christmas child, the promised Messiah, God's only son, our only hope to the world? And Joseph said, I'll do it. Abby and Derek, why don't you guys uh, come up and if anyone would like prayer after the celebration, that'd be great. And uh, for this time, I'd just like the men to stand up. Uh, not the women, just the men. So guys, if you would, stand up. <coughs> women, you'll get your time next week, okay? Some of you women are like, he didn't talk to me today. I think I probably talked more that will help you out in ways that you can imagine. But guys, I've been thinking about it, and I've, I've thought this week, I had no idea because of the weather and everything, but I thought, whatever guy shows up today, I want you to know that I'm for you, but more importantly, that God's for you. And I have a prayer that I, I want to pray specifically for you. So guys, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every single man that is standing today. Let them know right now that you're proud of them. You are proud of them because today, <coughs> today they chose to show up here. They decided to show up and not to just watch the world go by. And they desire God to do things your way. Doesn't mean they're perfect, doesn't mean they have it all together, but they're here today. And I pray right now, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would tap each man on the shoulder in your own, in the way that you can. And let them know that today that you don't desire them just to be a man, but you desire them to be a good, good man. Remind them this week to ask themselves these questions. Do I take my job seriously? Do I keep my commitments? Do I live a sexually pure life? Do I handle heartbreak and betrayal honorably? Do I hear and carry out supernatural instructions? Am I a fully devoted father? God, you've convicted me this week. There's one of these questions that, that I'm struggling with. And I have a feeling that there's one of these questions here that you've challenged each man with. And I pray this week, God, that you would give us the strength, that you would help us, Heavenly Father, to be able to work at that in our lives. I ask now, God, that you would pour out your love and your strength and your power in each man's standing. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're always loved in this place. Thanks, guys.